The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Hey, we're um, in John 14. We're going to be focusing on verses 16 and 17. Uh, John Piper tells the story of, um, I guess, eight months out of the year. He lives in, a, I mean, he lives in Minneapolis, and eight months out of the year, he can, he can go running. Uh, we visited some years ago, and I think it was zero. It was, yeah, it was interesting. But he writes and he talks about this. He says, while running, I carry booklets and gospels of John in my pocket. I pray for guidance for someone to talk to about Jesus and for the help of the Holy Spirit and what to say. It's usually quite early in the morning, and I'm running in what most people would call the inner city. If I find a guy standing alone, I may stop and say, good morning, my name's John. I run through the neighborhood and pray for people. Is there something I can pray about for you? And from this point on, it's unpredictable. But ordinarily, they will give me something to pray for. Now and then, it's something really significant. A couple months ago, he writes, a a young man said his girlfriend had just kicked him out, and he was devastated, and he thought it would be long-term Uh, Sooner or later in my interaction, I say something like, do you know the best news in the world? Depending on what they say, I ask, may I tell it to you? 90% of the time they say yes. So I put the gospel into as few words as I can and see where they are willing to go with that. And I come away from these brief encounters thankful and amazed at what just happened. Yes, I'm often frustrated that I did not say things better, but I'm also really happy that the Holy Spirit gave me something to say, not only that he inclined me to say it, he caused me to love it, he awakened compassion, he overcame anxiety, he put hope in my heart, he fulfilled the promise of Jesus, saying the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus said to his disciples in our text this morning, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray together. Ask the Lord's blessing on our morning. Jesus, we're here to worship you, to give you praise and thanks that you so richly deserve. Thank you for this great joy that we can come together for this wonderful purpose. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who has opened our eyes to your greatness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through the word of Christ ministering grace. We ask for this blessing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Do you find that strange, what I just did, praying directly to the Holy Spirit? Um, The normal pattern of prayer is to pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. But sometimes it's appropriate to speak directly to Jesus and to speak directly to the Holy Spirit. Uh, John Piper also commented, he said, it's just strange if 
the Spirit is a person, and I have grieved him, that I would just ignore talking to him and go to the Father and say, I'm sorry I grieved your Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit are persons, not just the Father. And to speak to them as a saved sinner cannot be unnatural. I read that a recent LifeWay survey of evangelical Christians revealed that nearly 60% taking this survey thought the Holy Spirit, thought of the Holy Spirit as a force and not a person. 60%. Much of our focus as a church, Christians in general, is rightly on Jesus. But Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And the church tends to either ignore him or misunderstand him. We have these two ends of the spectrum. And I know for me, I grew up, it wasn't my church's fault, I don't think. I think it's mostly my fault. But I grew up in a conservative Baptist church, and there wasn't a, you know, my, I had that influence on me. But then I had grandparents who were very well-known in charismatic circles. So I had both ends of the spectrum. And this combination, I think, just gave me a strange fear and a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. Now, I loved my Grandpa Phelps. He was a godly man. And when I think of him, I think of two things. Two things immediately come to my mind. One is I'm, I was amazed, um, especially as the, the older I get as a man, I'm amazed to recall I never once heard him complain. I never once heard him. He was just happy in the Lord. I think my dad will tell me about before he was a Christian and the dramatic change in his life. But when I knew him, he just, he had things to complain about, but he never complained. The second thing that comes to my mind is, I don't know how he did it, but somehow he, he either kidnapped me or convinced my parents that it would be good to, for him to take me to a full gospel businessman's meeting. Anybody know what a full gospel business? Full gospel is the key. Ultra charismatic. It was at the Holiday Inn, which is what now? The, over by Food for Less, the Ramada Inn. So he took me to this meeting. And I don't know. The, I think the, the trauma of that event probably distorted my, my memory so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recall my memory to you, but it may not be that accurate. But when I think of it, you know, the lights went down. I think there were some disco balls and a bunch of strobe lights. It was like a wild 70s disco party in another country because there was all, this, all these languages going on that I didn't understand. Um, and I just want it freaked me out. I just wanted to get out of there. Um, so it's funny that some believers, like my grandpa, they would, they would look at an event like that and think, that is spirit-filled, while others would say, that is out of line and unbiblical. There's no order to it. And so we have these, these dramatic differences on the, the spectrum when it com- comes to our view, our thinking of the Holy Spirit. But it begs the question, what does a spirit-filled service look like? Uh, I remember some, hearing about someone coming here years ago and leaving saying the spirit just wasn't there. And, and, I, and I thought afterwards, what are you talking about? 
Jesus was everywhere. We sung of him. We preached the gospel. So what's a spirit-filled service? Where Jesus is the focus, the work of the spirit is shining the light on him, or where Jesus isn't even mentioned and there's a bunch of excitement and emotion going on. What is a spirit-filled service? What does it look like? Jesus says that the Holy Spirit was sent to be another helper or advocate. He came because Jesus left. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to continue the ministry of Christ, enabling the very promises that we've been reading about in John 14, uh, as a matter of some. The work of the Holy Spirit is to open our eyes to who Jesus is, to grow us and guide us in his word, uh, carrying on the saving work of the gospel. So emotion, emotion in and of itself is not the goal. Christ is the goal. Emotions can be, they can be stirred. I get emotional at duck games. Uh, so sporting events, um, um, concerts, uh, motivational speaker seminars, dramatic stories, they can stir our emotions. The work of the Spirit is not to stir up emotions in general, but, but he does change our hearts, and he does change our affections toward Jesus. And so if we truly see Jesus and have a relationship with him, how can we not be overwhelmed at times? How can we not be overwhelmed when we recognize the hell that we deserve, when we recognize his goodness to us, when we recognize that he, our creator, knows us and has chosen to love us and willingly went to the cross and was tortured and died for our sins? How can we not be moved, emotional at that? If we hear that and say, yeah, I've heard that before, Mm. Something's wrong. The Spirit connects us and points us to Jesus. The Spirit teaches us his word. He gives us a greater love for Jesus and a desire to obey him. He enables us to do the ongoing work of Christ. And he changes our hearts. He changes our prayers to be God-centered. The work of the Spirit is at the very center of our Christian lives. And if we don't care, if we're not moved, if there's no thankfulness and worshipful affection for Christ, we need the Spirit's help. Something's not right. Think of the disciples. Think of their devotion to Jesus, how dependent they were upon him, the confidence that that they must have had in his presence as he guided them and taught them and even rescued them, showing the power of God. And for many of us, we'd relate this to having a sense of security and confidence with our parents. We just feel safe. Their presence is important to us. And yet, Of all of the things that Jesus did for his disciples, it seems that he believed one of the most important things that he would do for them is to leave. How could his disciples do greater works than he? Jesus said it was because I'm going to the Father. 
because I'm leaving. And now we understand why his departure was important. Because in leaving, Jesus asked the Father to give them another helper who will be with them forever. Most Christians, they're familiar with with God the Father, with Jesus, who is the Son of God. But as J.I. Packer wrote, the average Christian is in a complete fog as to what work the Holy Spirit does. So before we make any application from our text, I want to be clear about a few things concerning the Holy Spirit. First, first is he is not an it. Sometimes we slip and we refer to the Spirit as an it. He is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. And we see his personhood all throughout the New Testament. And it, a force, a power, does not make decisions, does not act or speak or feel. And it cannot be grieved. He is a person. Jesus says that he'll send us another helper. And the implication is that he'll send the same kind of helper as himself. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who takes the place of another divine person, Jesus, who leaves the disciples when he ascends to heaven. So it's important that we rightly think of the Spirit as a person and not a force. The error many Christians can make is to desire more of the Spirit as if he's an outlet that we plug into and get recharged. The Holy Spirit is not a mere power source. He's the third person of the Godhead, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. I love how James Boyce put it. He wrote, if we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power, our thought will continually be How can I get more of the Holy Spirit? If we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? The first thought is entirely pagan. The second thought is New Testament Christianity. In Acts 8, we read of a character named Simon who wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit as a power source for his magic, And Peter rebuked him, saying, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Later on in Acts, we read of a worship service where the Holy Spirit spoke. He spoke, saying, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And in this we see it's the Spirit who gains us and uses us for Christ's work. A second thing for us to know about the Spirit is his role. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And prior to saying this, Jesus told his disciples that they would do greater works, meaning the spread of the gospel, that they would pray effectual prayers and he would do it out of love for him, they would obey his commands. The Holy Spirit is not sent as some kind of reward for good behavior. No, he's sent to enable us to do the work, to do what Jesus promised that we would do. 
Now, God is one. The Father gives the Spirit, the Son sends Him, and the Spirit's purpose is to carry on Christ's work, to carry on the gospel through His church. Okay, pop quiz time. Some of you may have, no, hardly anybody looks at my Facebook page, thankfully. Uh, Pastor Dale did. I, I posted, you might have seen this on my Facebook page, a question. So pop quiz time for you. Pastor Dale was wise enough to discern. It must be a trick question. He didn't give an answer. So here, are you ready? Here's the question. You don't have to shout anything out. Just be thinking about it. Later on, I'll ask for a show of hands. Here's the question. Who is the paraclete? Now, I don't mean um, a small, colorful bird. Or uh, I liked Danny's um, response to my Facebook post. He he gave a picture of some track shoes. thought that was clever. Get it? A pair of cleats. Um, But many of you know... Paraclete, this is the Greek word Jesus uses here to describe the Holy Spirit. This Greek word, it combines the prefix para, which means alongside of, with the verb kaleo, meaning call out. So we can say he is the one who is called alongside, or the one who calls from alongside, or some will even combine these and say that the Spirit is called to our side, calling out to us to continue the work that Jesus began. I, lo- I like that combination. He's, he's called to our side, calling out to us to continue the work that Jesus began. Richard Phillips gives a, a great illustration of a paraclete. He wrote, as one of our younger daughters began to ride her bicycle without training wheels, She was able to take this important step in life only with a good deal of help. The helper was her mother, who acted out both senses of the word paraclete. First, she raced to our daughter's side as one called to answer the need. Once there, she guided the handlebars, balanced the bike as it got going, called out the encouragement that our daughter needed to ride on her own without the training wheels. With the help of her mother as a paraclete, our daughter was able to accomplish what she otherwise lacked the ability to do on her own. In like manner, the Holy Spirit provides the enabling help for Christians to achieve their potential as born-again followers of Jesus. I love that illustration. It, It shows both, called to the need and then calling out this encouragement, enabling her to do I wish I could have used that. I probably could use that with Devin. I think I ran alongside her bike. And, but um, what comes to mind is how Brenna robbed us of that ability to do the illustration because our memory is seeing her run into the garage, grab some of my tools, and then take her training wheels off and then just take off. So couldn't use it for her. But, okay, back to this pop quiz. Show of hands now. Who would say that the paraclete is the Holy Spirit? Everybody's, everybody, I, I, okay. Some of you. You don't trust me, do you? Okay, it was a trick question, as Pastor Dale rightly discerned, because the Holy Spirit is a paraclete. 
a paraclete, but the paraclete is Jesus. Because Jesus said he would give you another helper, another paraclete, implying that he is the first helper or the paraclete. Anybody think of that? Okay. Um, There's a difference in the way in which Jesus was their helper and how the Holy Spirit fills this role. Concerning the Spirit, Jesus said, you know him, and he will dwell, and, and he dwells with you. Jesus said, you know him to his disciples, and he dwells with you. And what Jesus means is that the Spirit's presence has been with them all along in Jesus. Jesus, think of it, Jesus was born by the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who is fully divine and fully man, for the, for the um, purpose of his ministry was baptized, and the Spirit dwelled within him, equipping him for his earthly ministry. So the Spirit was present in the person of Jesus. And so we, we could say to, um, he could say to his disciples, you know the Holy Spirit, you know him. He dwells with you in my presence. In knowing Jesus, they already know the Spirit. But when Jesus leaves, he will continue his ministry of grace as the Spirit indwells the church, speaking of Pentecost. This is why Jesus said that it would be better for his disciples that he leave because then he would send the other helper not to simply be with us, but in us. The Spirit continues the work of Christ within us, the work that Jesus accomplished for us. Now, concerning the work of Christ, I want to consider quickly the threefold office of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. And the reason I want to do this is that John 14, John 14 um, communicates the Spirit's help in relationship to this threefold office. First, Jesus is the prophet, the ultimate prophet. And all previous prophets, when you, when you think of uh, prophets of the Old Testament, what is their job? They, they, they speak the oracles of God. They speak the very words of God. They begin by saying, thus saith the Lord. It's not their words. They're a mouthpiece for God. But with Jesus, the Son of God, the the ultimate prophet, he came as the very word of God. Prophets bring revelation of God, and Jesus embodies it, saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He, he is the ultimate revelation of God, the ultimate prophet. Now, with Jesus leaving, how will this prophetic ministry revealing God and his truth, how will this continue? Well, Jesus appointed apostles. He appointed them to write. And the Spirit is called to come alongside these apostles to divinely inspire them so that the words would be the very words of God. And thus we have the completed Bible, the New Testament. Jesus, the Word, continued his prophetic ministry through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we read in 2 Peter 1.21, that these men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
the writing of the Bible, the word of God, is complete. This was the prophetic ministry of the Spirit as the apostles wrote what the Spirit called them to write. And today, when the Spirit opens our eyes to the truth of God's word, and when we proclaim the truth of God's word, this is the prophetic ministry of the Spirit as well. Apart from him being our helper, we could not see, we would not understand, we would not comprehend God's revealed and saving truth. So as the paraclete, the Holy Spirit comes alongside, working on Christ's behalf, now inside of us to do the miracle of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, to work in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The second office of Christ is that he is our great high priest. Through him, we are cleansed and brought before the throne of God. As the true and ultimate high priest, Jesus made the sacrifice for our sin. And ascending to heaven, he he presents the sacrifice to God. And with this in mind, the New Testament uses the term paraclete to describe Jesus. We read in 1 John 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a paraclete in Jesus. We have um, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But this being true and knowing that Jesus' sacrifice was offered once for all, we might wonder, well, how does the Spirit continue this priestly uh, work? One author explains that while Jesus now in heaven intercedes for us at the throne of grace, reaching out to the Father with hands that were pierced for us, the other helper, the Holy Spirit, performs the same work within us, bringing peace to our consciences as he presents the wounds of Christ to our minds. The pardon of sin was achieved for us by Christ, our paraclete, and the application of this pardon within our hearts is carried out by the other paraclete, the Spirit whom Christ has sent from the Father. Okay, a third, the third um, office of Christ is that he is the great king. I like how the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, saying that Christ, Christ executes his kingly office in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Jesus is king. He rules, he reigns in us today by means of the Holy Spirit within us. We were once enemies of God, not believing in Christ. And as the great king, Jesus subdued our unbelieving hearts by sending the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to overcome our spiritual death, and to give us life. And this is what Jesus was referring to in John 3 when he said, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. When we are saved, we are born of the Spirit, and we become living subjects of Jesus, the King. 
So it's important that we see his sovereign work as king, that we don't simply enter into his his kingdom as a result of some natural ability within ourselves. No, the biblical truth is that we cannot see, we cannot, Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. The biblical truth is we cannot come into the kingdom, make that decision unless we're first born of the Spirit. We don't have that ability apart from the work of the Spirit to make any decision for Christ. So this is where the sovereign king comes in and subdues our unbelief. We need a helper. And the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes life into us and enables us to respond in faith to his command, to his word. So we must be born again. And the Spirit, John 3 goes on to say that the Spirit is like the wind and blows wherever he wishes. He's sovereign. The King is sovereign. So we should not rob the Spirit of the glory that he is due as the one who has opened our eyes to Jesus. He is the one who has set us free from the bondage of sin. He's the one who's given us the assurance of an inheritance with Christ in glory. And as he works within us, he gives our hearts the peace of Christ. Christ who calls out to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's an application to people who do not believe that they pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to the reality of Jesus. Jesus, who is this ultimate prophet revealing the glory and grace of God to us. Jesus, who is the ultimate priest who offered forgiveness for our sins through his sacrificial death on the cross. And Jesus, the King of Kings, who calls you to salvation through, the, through faith in his word. He invites you to receive all of this. And he will continue his work in you through the Holy Spirit if you do reply, if you do ask him. He will continue his work in you. If you humbly receive him and recognize your guilt and turn from your sin and turn to Jesus in faith, Jesus who alone can save us from our sins. So, Now, for us who do believe, here's an application for us. We have the continuing work of the Spirit in our lives. He is our helper, a paraclete who is called to come alongside us and call within us so that we grow in our faith and do the works that Jesus promised that we would do. Remember those Previous weeks in John 14, we considered three things that Jesus told his disciples, that we would do even greater works in the spread of the gospel, that we would pray in his name and he would do it, and that out of love for him, we would be obedient to his command. And I bring these up because it's interesting. It's interesting how these um, promises of Christ, how they correspond to the the threefold office of Christ. How will we do greater work in the spread of the gospel? We take up Christ's prophetic office by telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace to save. And we're only effective in doing this work by the help of the Holy Spirit. 
who gives us the words to say and who uses those fumbling, often fumbling words to shed light on someone, to open their eyes to the reality of the gospel. So the Spirit's work in, in that prophetic office that we take up is, is necessary, is critical. Second, prayer is a priestly ministry. And we're told that whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. And the answer to this priestly ministry of prayer, it's found only in the indwelling help of the Holy Spirit. Because we don't, oftentimes we don't even know what we should pray. But Paul writes in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us in our prayers. Finally, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Can we do this on our own? No. We know by a life of experience that we often fail in many ways to love, to rightly love God, to rightly love people. So in our own strength, it's impossible. It's only by the spirit of our king that we can subdue the enemy of sin and fight the good fight through faith. So we need the Spirit. But remember, he's a person, not an it, not a force. And the way to receive the Spirit is by trusting in Jesus. In Galatians, Paul said, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? It's by faith alone. And in receiving the Spirit, when we experience his power through the very word of God that that he inspired, uh, we think of Second or Second Timothy three that says all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we're utterly dependent upon the Spirit for for the beginning of our faith, for our understanding of God's Word and to equip us to obey Christ. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, and we carry on this threefold ministry as we share the gospel, as we pray, and as we subdue sin in our lives. So thank Jesus that he did not leave us to ourselves, but that he asked the Father to give us another helper to be with us and to indwell us. Let's pray. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for your work of salvation and for your ongoing grace to us, that we might be a part of your kingdom work. Jesus, we thank you for your life, for your great love in dying for us so that we might be forgiven and presented to the Father as clean, as righteous in his sight. And we thank you for the great joy and privilege of your calling, your promises to us, that we would continue your prophetic work as we go to your word, seeing and declaring your truth. And as we pray according to your your will, thank you, Lord, that your spirit intercedes um, on our behalf for the needs of others. Lord, we bow our knees to you, our king, giving thanks for sending another helper to subdue the enemy of sin in our lives. 
Holy Spirit, help us to rightly see and know and appreciate your work that enables us to be faithful in this calling. God, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.